Today's scripture is Matthew 22, verses 34 through 46, and that's page 857 in the Pew Bible. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet? If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So I got sucked into one of those arguments on Facebook last week. Do you ever do, does this happen to you somehow? Usually, you know what, usually I'm pretty good. I rise above it. I don't get, I try not to get sucked into these things, but this friend of mine from high school who's apparently an atheist um, posted a thing that says, it never says anywhere in the Bible that Jesus loves you. Take a look. And anyway, and it started this whole, which, you know, people post silly things all the time. And it started this whole thing and somehow I got, I, uh, I started talking to it. And then you find yourself kind of sucked into these things where you're spent, I don't know who has time for this, but, you know, paragraphs. And I'm, I'm articulating, you know, a very complex answer to some of the questions being posed, right? I'm, basically, I'm telling them your argument is pretty poor if you're really trying to make a case. Because basically he's lumping me in with all these wackos, you know, that... Uh, you know that read the bible in different ways than i do and and come up with different things and he's kind of lumping us all together we're not we're not like that right we're not westboro baptist church right we're first baptist church we have a different way of seeing things so i'm trying to make that case <laughs> to of course while i'm you know while i'm articulating uh, you know and and wordsmithing my response 16 other people have posted a bunch of other crud and they've moved on from whatever it was i'm still dwelling on so this is what happens in facebook you get kind of sucked into these things and then i'm arguing with 20 people instead of just one and it turns into this big thing but you know, it's an interesting thing, this, this issue that at the heart of Christianity, uh, I think everyone would say, is this question of love. And here in the Gospels is one of the cases, and, and you know, this was quoted many times in this Facebook post, that here in the Gospels, love seems to be central and primary to what it is to being a Christian. And yet, I, uh, you know, people make a good case 
out there for why this has not been the case. I mean, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of not loving behavior to answer for in our, in our life as 2,000 years of Christ followers, uh, not always heeding this command on which the whole of the law hinges, Jesus tells us, to love our neighbor, to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. It's primary to who we are as Christians, and yet so often it doesn't seem the case. Here in our text today, Jesus is again confronted by the Pharisees. This sounds a lot like the text from last week where he was posed with a tricky question about taxes. You know, should we, should we pay taxes or not? And I'm sure uh, Pastor Ellis kind of uh, schooled us all on how that works. And this sounds a lot of, like that text. This question is equally as tricky that comes to us from the Pharisees. What is the greatest commandment? This is an unusual question actually. What they're uh, in, in the rabbinic tradition, uh, Jewish tradition of the time, the rabbis would sit around and ask these kinds of questions. So it, it could have been a genuine inquiry on the part of the Pharisees to pose this question. This is what, you know, this is what Pharisees and rabbis sit around doing. Kind of pastors do this too. What is the greatest? What do you think is the most important, most significant commandment? And then we'd, you know, pontificate about why we thought something was. And uh, in Jesus is posed with this question. And again, I think it was to try and trip him up, make him, try and get him to say something stupid. But it could have been a genuine inquiry. It could have been someone who really wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Whatever the case, Jesus' response is quite eloquent. And it comes from what, what the Jews call the Shema, which is uh, the daily prayers of, of uh, devout Jews. They recite a daily prayer, and it comes from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, and it begins like this, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. You're supposed to sing it, but I won't, I won't do that to you. Uh, but the beginning of the Shema goes like that, and it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, to quote, De- to, it goes on with the rest of Deuteronomy, which is this, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And so this is actually a really good answer on Jesus' part. Uh, and, and he would have been commended for that. Of course, he wasn't content to stop there. Jesus adds another scripture that comes to us from Leviticus 19 Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus isn't making this up. It comes out of the Hebrew Bible, right? He's, he's pulling out of his own tradition those things which are most significant. And sometimes I think we hear this passage and we hear the word love so much that we hear this command to love God and love others and we think this is, you know, this is one of the easy ones. This is so ubiquitous in our world. Oh, you know, love your neighbor, love God, love, 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 love. All you need is love. Love is a mini-splendored thing, right? Love, love, love. And we kind, of, we kind of miss the impact. Like, we think this is one of the easy ones. You know, it's much easier than coveting your neighbor's stuff, right? That's much harder than loving your neighbor, right? Coveting his stuff or her stuff. It's a lot easier than giving a tenth of your earnings to the church or to the poor. What? Yeah, I said it. 
It's a lot easier than that, isn't it? To love somebody than to give up your money and all of that kind of stuff. It's a lot easier than some of those. I think we say that to ourselves, but, but you know, uh, this is not one of those easy texts. And it sounds so common. It sounds, we've heard this so many times. How many times have you heard, a, at least once a year, you hear a sermon on this particular text to love God and love your neighbor and it gets it gets trotted out anytime there's a dispute about something and we use it quite often and I think so often it's been used that that it, the real meaning eludes us and certainly when we look around if this is so central to who we are as Christians if this is so primary to who we are as followers of Christ, if this is the center of what it is to be a church, to love God and love others as ourselves, it's, it certainly would be easy to look around and go, wait a minute, did they miss that? Did they not hear that? Did that... It would be easy for people to think sometimes that we haven't ever read it or understood it. And so it bears repeating again and again, and it bears hearing with fresh ears, although I think that's difficult to do because we have heard it so much. And you know, the the other problem that's posed by this is that to love God, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God. And I think what makes that seem easy is that this is kind of a mysterious and obscure thing to do. I mean, how do you love God? Love God, okay. God, I love you. But what's really required on our part? What is really being asked of? How do we show that we have loved God? How do we, how do we exhibit that? We can't give, you know, call God up or <laughs> all these kinds of things. How do we express our love for God? Well, actually, uh, Scripture helps us with this. If we look in 1 John 4.20, it says this, Those who say, I love God, and hate their brother or sister, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or a sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And in Matthew 25, it says this, Whoever, Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And so, like so many things in the Bible, this is what loving God looks like. Like like all things related to God, ultimately it turns back toward us. God's command to love God and to put no other gods before God ultimately turns back to us and says, and the way you do that is you treat others well. You love the people around you. And so, not only, as Jesus says, is the second command like it, it's almost a repetition of what the first command was. Jesus says, the first, com- the first and greatest command is to love your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But really, they're saying two ways of saying the exact same thing. Because to love God, you must love other people. And herein lies the rub. 
You know, there's a lot of different kinds of love. I love fall. Who loves fall? I love the way the, tree, the leaves look uh, and, the, and the naked trees and all of that and the snow. is nice too. I love fall. I love oysters. Who loves raw oysters, right? That's a, fewer of you. Fewer of you. <laughs> but I love it. I, it. In fact, it's a little embarrassing how much I love oysters. <laughs> so, you know, but that's, I mean, that's like, you know, I love my car. I love, I love this tie, you know. Those are silly. Uh, this is why we get confused. We throw this word around about oysters. Can you really love God in the same way you say, can you really, should we really use the same word that we use when I describe oysters? Actually, in my case, that would be, they would be akin to one another. But, <laughs> but should we really even use that same word? And then there's the love we have for our spouse or our significant other, right? That's a, there's a Greek word for that. It's eros. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? But that's, you know, that's an exclusive kind of love, right? I love them like I love nobody else. It's very exclusive. Uh, again, a very different, a very different kind of love than what we're talking about when we're talking about God. Although I will say, some ancient writings, you would be, you would be shocked at how almost erotic some of the poetry about God is from some of our early church writers. Uh, it's, and it, you know, uh, I think there they're trying to express this very difficult concept of loving God. And how else, you know, when you start to explore the language, you can't help but kind of slide over into a language that might make a lot of us uncomfortable if I were to read some of it. So people exploring what that means. But it's different than our spouse. And then there is this unconditional and godly love that we're talking about here, this agape love. That's a Greek word that we've heard a lot of times. Agape, which is really godly love, holy love, unconditional love that comes to us from God and goes to God from us. And this is not a small, warm, fuzzy love. It's a challenging, sacrificial love that goes beyond the cultural norms and the niceties that we run into that we we attribute to love and this is why i guess i'm i'm really deconstructing this whole word because we do use it so much every television every sappy dumb soap opera has people in love with each other and then the things they do to each other you have to wonder if they really know what that word means. <laughs> and we're going to use that same word to describe this challenging love, unconditional and committed, that we're called to have for God and for other people. It's no small commandment. On the one hand, it sounds very sweet that Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. If you just love, if you just love, then you will fulfill all the law ever needs of you. And for 2,000 years, we've been saying to ourselves and to each other, if we would just love, we would fulfill all the law requires of us. 
if we would just love. And I don't know that we're any closer to that today than we were then. There's an interesting tradition. If you've ever been to... I have not, so I'm, I'm giving you my impressions from other people. But if you've ever been to like India or, or a, a Hindu country like India, there are like images of gods all over the place. Vishnu and all these, you know, elephants with many arms and stuff like that. Anyway, there's all these, there's all these statues or pictures and images, and they're just kind of standing around everywhere. You go to the bus stop, there's, there's a statue of Vishnu there. You go, you go to the grocery store, there's a picture of, uh, of Dharma there, right, right by the doorway. You go into, you know, everywhere you go, they're just kind of in, they're in everyday life. In the markets, there's, there's a statue, there's a shrine, there's a thing. And people come and they, they bring offerings, either a little bit of grain or a piece of fruit or some money sometimes, and they'll throw it in a dish in front of this statue of Vishnu. And, and this is called the, uh, the puja. This tradition is the puja, is when you make an offering to these images that are just everywhere. I mean, they're just all over the place. In your everyday life, as you walk around, 30, 40 times a day, you will run into an image for which it would be appropriate to do the puja, to give an, an offering of some sort. What would it be like if for we who follow Christ, if for we who are commanded to love God, and the way to love God is to love our neighbors, what would it be like if for us we saw in the faces of the people we run into in our everyday lives, if we saw the face of God in them, and we responded with a puja. That is, how do I offer myself to God as I look at this person in front of me who is, I am told, the face of God? What a different world I think we would live in. How do we love God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul? We look for God in each other. And we look how to respond in an appropriate and godly way. How do I offer myself to God in my interactions with other people? Now, on the face of it, on the face of it, this is this might be an easy thing. But even Jesus recognized that that's not always the case. You have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even the pagans love those who love them back. But I say, love your enemies. So Jesus challenges us with something that goes beyond the norms. You know, it's easy for me to look at you lovely people and Say, oh, I, I, you know, it's easy for me to love you. But there, well, you know, sometimes it gets hard. <laughs> can, can I be real? Can I keep it honest? Uh, you know, sometimes we struggle. But how do we love? How do we love those who are around us, even when it's even when it's difficult? 
How do you love children who are self-destructive and you have to make hard choices? I spoke with a woman this weekend who called the cops on her son. How difficult that must have been. But it was either that or he was going to hurt himself and someone else. That was loving that person. How do you love the people who are so hard to love sometimes? I was a youth pastor for several years, but my, uh, when I was in Alameda, California, you may, you may remember this story. There was an awful uh, thing that happened in Las Vegas. A young lady was uh, assaulted, raped, and killed by someone. And his friend walked in on it. I used to know this guy's name, but all of a sudden, uh, now I can't remember it. But this friend walked in on it in Las Vegas and turned around and left. Now the guy went to jail that did the deed. This guy did not. Did not go to jail. But maybe you remember he appeared on 60 Minutes and tried to defend himself and was one of the most hated people in the country. As you can imagine, I hated him. I thought he was disgusting, this person. Well, he applied and was accepted into Berkeley, uh, UC Berkeley, in the engineering program. And, you know, you know how Berkeley is. <laughs> when word got out that this guy was coming, he didn't get arrested because there was not this good Samaritan law where you have to do something if some, you see something going on. So he got off on that. And, the, and when he was coming to Berkeley, there were protests and crazy things all over the place. And I went to my, our youth group, we were talking about this stuff this loving people stuff. And I said, you know, this guy's coming to Berkeley. We may see him walking down the street. What is the Christian response? And, you know, the the young lady in question was black. The person who did it was white. This person was white. Some of my some of my black students were really struggled with this, as you can imagine. But we wrestled with it. We wrestled with it for a couple of hours. And what my youth group came up with is we should pray for him. That's all. We should just pray for him. And if we ever saw him, we should say, we're praying for you. Pretty, I was pretty proud of him to come up with that. Four days later, I'm walking down the street in Berkeley, California, and this jerk (laughs) walks right toward me. Like, great. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I was like, really? And and I my like my heart stopped. I'm like, that's him. Oh my gosh. Walking alone with his head down, his books in his hand. I don't blame him. This guy, and I got to tell you, I'm, I was filled with loathing. I was filled with hate and loathing. But I called out his name. I think it was Brian something. But I said, Brian. He turned and looked at me. And I said, I want you to know that my youth group is praying for you. And he didn't say anything. He turned around and walked away. 
But, uh, you know, that was pretty tough. That was pretty tough. And that was as far, that was as good, that was as close to coming I could come that day to loving that person. But that was pretty good. And it was, I have to credit my youth group with their faith and their conviction that that's what loving someone looks like. And it was, it was hard not to just spit obscenities at him. But that's the challenge that we have when God says, when Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love beyond our human capacity, beyond our rage and our hate, beyond our capacity to, uh, to look you know, past the ugliness, to love. And sometimes it takes time. I, God is patient. God doesn't expect miracles right off the bat, right? Sometimes we've got to work through that rage, that hate, that hurt, and get to a place where we can say, loving you today looks like me praying for you. I'm praying that you find your way and you find some peace and you find whatever you need to be whole. Sometimes that's a process. That's what it means. And this world will stay exactly the way it is until we learn how to do it. Amen? This, not only does all of the Hebrew law, and the, the word that's used here literally means hinge. Not only does the, all of the Hebrew law hinge on these two commandments, I believe all of the world's laws put together hinge on these two commandments. Love God, and the way you do that is you see God in other people and love other people as you do yourself. Right? And that doesn't mean if you hate yourself, you hate them too. You've got to love yourself too. Let me throw that. That's a whole other sermon. But uh, I believe the future of our world hinges on these two commandments. Amen? And let us pray. Great and loving God, who has loved us beyond what we can even imagine, who loves us to overflowing, who loves us without holding anything back, even Jesus on a cross. Your love is so powerful. May we be agents of that love. May we see You in other people even those we despise. Be with us this day and help us to meet this challenge. For we know that it is kingdom-building work. Jesus, we pray. Amen.